Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning and welcome back to the podcast. Glad to have you here. It is August 9th, 2021. I feel like I start these podcasts the same way every single time, right? I welcome you. I give you the date. Um, and then I usually make some statement about how how fast the summer is going or how fast time seems to be going, which is really interesting because I still feel like I was sitting in a church service year a couple of years ago. It was probably 10 years ago now. I don't even remember. But I remember sitting in a church service and remember listening to this speaker talk about time. And he he literally had this theory about time that as we got closer and closer to the end of time, that time really was scientifically speeding up and that it wasn't just a feeling we had. Because, you know, we, we all have that feeling, right, that Time feels like it's just going by so fast these days. I, and you can say, oh, it's because you're so busy or, oh, it's because, um, you know, there's just so many things going on. There's so many things you have to do in life that it makes it feel like it's going faster. But no, there was literally a scientific explanation for why time was speeding up on some level. It was interesting. Um, I don't know that I fully 100% believe it, but... Like I said, it was interesting because you really feel it. You can feel it in your soul that time is just speeding up. But anyway, like I said, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be with you again. Another Monday morning here in Southern California, although it's a very overcast morning for us. I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, we, like we've talked about, we have this thing called May Gray and June Gloom. And during those times, you expect it, right? You expect you wake up in the morning, there's like this cloudy, overcast feeling. And then by 10 o'clock, it burns off and it's sunny all day. But here it is August, mid-August almost, and um, still, still with the overcast in the morning. Very strange. All right, let's jump into our minute of transparency. Uh, this week, I'm going to call it Living Under the Permacloud. Since we just talked about the cloudiness here, let's talk about it some more. So prior to living in California, we lived in the Midwest, specifically Indiana, right up there in the top left corner, about an hour and a half of, uh, from Chicago. Now, if I had to live anywhere in the Midwest again, this isn't the worst option in the world, right? You're close to a major city, Chicago. Uh, you're near Lake Michigan, which is very similar to living near an ocean, actually. Uh, you have four seasons, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, you have some pretty big college towns near you. So there's Notre Dame, IU, Purdue, University of Michigan, Michigan State, The Ohio State. All of those are in a pretty close proximity. Uh, you have quick access to a small city, South Bend. Uh, less than three hours away, you have Indianapolis, which is a fun, medium-sized city with a lot of things going on. Uh, the area is full of lakes, 
So, you know, lake life is a thing with boating, fishing, and water sports. So like I said, right, there are far worse places to live in the Midwest than where we lived. However, it's still the Midwest. And for those of you who are living there, um, or for those of you who have been there for any length of time, you probably understand that there are some things you have to deal with that just aren't quite as fun. Uh, and so this is actually why we moved out of the Midwest, right? At some point, Tammy came to me and said, why do we live here again? I mean, you only live once, and this is where we've chosen to live for the whole thing? Now, we had had this conversation every couple of years, typically in the winter, typically when it was really cold. Uh, but in 2014 or 15, we didn't dismiss the conversation as some random or... Um, you know, random conversation we were having out of simple frustration, we decided it was a real question that needed answered. And in less than a year, we were living in California. Now, this wasn't the state that we expected to move to, right? When you live in the Midwest, most people move south, Nashville, South Carolina, Florida. But there were connections in California, and this is where we ended up. But let's get back to the Midwest and some of the things that were less than positive, so I mentioned the four seasons, right? Now I mentioned this as a positive thing, but for many of this, this wasn't very positive. Seasons in the Midwest swing drastically. Summer is hot, hot and humid. And at times, you know, it can be close to 100 degrees with humidity that's overwhelming. Fall is beautiful. That's definitely the season that I could live in year round. Um, although it came with breaking leaves, tons of leaves. Winter was the exact opposite of the summer, bitter cold. In fact, a few years before, um, or I should say for a few years before we left, we experienced this thing called the polar vortex, where cold air is getting pushed down by the jet stream uh, from Canada, and it lands up in the Midwest, right? Uh, and, you know, it could be for days or weeks at, at a time, it could be sub-zero, so that was not fun either. Mosquitoes, number two. Uh, now this wasn't just a Midwest thing, all right? There's mosquitoes almost everywhere. In fact, um, if we had moved anywhere south of Indiana, we probably would have found larger mosquitoes. But living in California has definitely opened our eyes to what life can be like without insects. It's incredible. Um, you know, in the Midwest, I still remember going out to... Um, or being outside of your house at any point after the sun went down or as the sun was starting to set, right? I mean, the minute that happened, you either had to go back in the house or you needed to spray yourself up with bug spray. Otherwise, you'd be eaten alive. Number three, severe weather. So in the Midwest, you know, there were times of the year when severe weather was a thing. Everything from large thunderstorms to hail to straight line winds, downdrafts, and yes, tornadoes. Now, there are issues with weather no matter where you live, right? In the south, you face hurricane season. If you live in the, the middle of the country, there's Tornado Alley. Uh, a huge portion of the plain states struggle with flooding from time to time. And in California, yes, we deal with drought and fire season. So it is what it is, right? But there were definitely weeks in there in the Midwest where we would go days with rain. And life doesn't stop, right? You still go to work, you still have errands to run, and your kids still need to go to soccer practice and soccer games. 
you just do it all in the rain. Now, there are other things, right, like the culture in the Midwest, the religious and political climate, but we won't go there. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, also related to weather. Uh, it's what my wife and I refer to as the permacloud. Now, we thought it was just funny, right? It was just something we joked about. We we thought it was something that, um, you know, that people there had just made up and it was like an inside joke. But uh, as I did a little bit of research, I found an article by Debbie Pierce. She literally wrote about it on her blog uh, called The Return of Permacloud. So here's a short piece from that article. For the unenlightened, permacloud happens to be that permanent persistent cloud cover that hangs over the University of Notre Dame and the entire South Bend area. Climate data indicates the period from mid-August through mid-May traditionally receives lower than U.S. averages when it comes to sunshine. In fact, only the months of June and July run over or equivalent to the U.S. sunshine averages. That tells me clouds, whether partly, mostly, or completely, are a permanent fixture over South Bend and Notre Dame, at least for much of the academic year, and especially during November and December. Cloudiness isn't a problem for some people. Maybe they're fair-skinned and balk at applying sunscreen every day. Maybe their eyes are sensitive to lots of bright sunlight. But others of us would find that much cloud cover depressing. Interesting, right? So not just a funny term that my wife and I used to describe what we experienced. Actual science, right? Climate data supporting the fact that for a big chunk of the year, we lived under a dark, drizzly cloud. Uh, Debbie goes on in her article to mention to mention SAD, or what is called seasonal affective disorder. That's a real thing too. According to the Mayo Clinic, season, seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, is a type of depression that relates to changes in seasons. SAD begins and ends about the same time every year. And if you're like most people with this disorder, your symptoms start in the fall and continue into the winter months, sapping your energy, making you feel moody. Less often, SAD causes depression in the spring or early summer. So looking back, there were a number of factors that led us to leaving the Midwest, but the permacloud may have actually been the last straw, right? The final nail in the coffin to get us to move. Tammy wanted more sun and the ocean and beaches and less rain. And I have to admit, I wanted it too. So here we are. A uh, little more research on the number of sunny days in different areas. So the, the sunny days in Los Angeles per year, 284. The number of sunny days in South Bend, 172. For reference, you know how everyone looks at Seattle as, oh my gosh, I would never live in Seattle. It's the rainiest, uh, the rainiest place on earth or whatever. Um, you know, everybody bashes it for being so rainy all the time. The number of sunny days a year in Seattle is 152. That's only 20 less days than in South Bend, Indiana. So what does the permacloud have to do with our topic for today? Well, nothing, really. Uh, but we did mention SAD, or Seasonal Affective Disorder, which does have to do with the topic today, which is transcending hopelessness. In this episode, we're going to talk about levels of sadness, 
We're going to talk about picking your poison. And we're going to finish things up with The Controversy and Albert Ellis. Number one, levels of sadness. So let me start out by just warning you that this isn't our typical episode, right? This isn't going to be a typical, fun, fun-loving, lighthearted episode. I mean, on some level, yes, we're going to talk about ways to transcend feelings of sadness or hopelessness, but that doesn't change the fact that the subject itself is pretty dark. It's difficult, and it's not always something that we like to talk about, which is exactly why I finally decided to do the episode. I mean, I had been putting it off over and over again. My original idea was to do a series of episodes on mental health, and I may still do that. Um, So this isn't that, but this could very easily be a piece of that series. And it's a piece that I just couldn't keep bumping off for easier topics. So here we are. And today we're going to talk about sadness. Now, this is a very abstract idea when you think about it, right? If a person tells you they're sad, you don't immediately understand what they mean, right? You need more information like, well, how sad are you? Or what are you sad about? What does the sadness feel like? How is it impacting you? And why are you telling me? And that's the reason we need all this information is because sadness is a feeling and feelings can be very hard to define. So I thought it might be good right up front to just start by defining a few levels of sadness so that we'll all be on the same page. Level number one, I'm just going to call sadness. So this is the most basic level. Uh, Healthline.com explains it like this. Sadness is a human emotion that all people feel at certain times during their lives. Feeling sad is a natural reaction to situations that cause emotional upset or pain. There are varying degrees of sadness, but like other emotions, sadness is temporary and fades with time. When you're sad, it may feel all-encompassing at times, but you should also have moments when you are able to laugh or be comforted. So I refer to this as level one because it's a basic emotion, right? One that we all experience. In the 2015 Pixar movie called Inside Out, we get to know a few of the basic emotions pretty well. That's actually the whole point of the movie, right? Joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness are all personified in the film. So on some level, sadness is at the same level as joy, right? These are just basic emotions that we all experience at any given time. Emotions that come and go and are not considered problematic. Level two, chronic sadness. So the biggest difference I see between chronic sadness is just the length of time that it impacts us, right? In level one, it says that there should be times when you experience joy or that you can be comforted. So in level two, I'm going to suggest that it starts to become a problem. Times of joy and happiness are very few and far between. It's getting harder and harder for people to comfort you when you're sad. This is an ongoing negative feeling, but not to the level where it's impacting your functioning. Level three, depression. So the switch from sadness to depression is all about the impact, right? The impact that it's having on you as a person. Sadness is more of an emotion or a feeling. Depression is a state of mind that begins to impact your very functioning. Now, there are many forms of depression, and so here are just a few of the ones that you may have heard of. First, there's major depression, 
or major depressive disorder. So having the symptoms of clinical depression for at least a two-week period of time. There's persistent depression, or what used to be called dysthymia. Uh, this is less severe than major depression, but it lasts for at least two years. So this is a very long-term, ongoing form of depression. Next, you have postpartum depression. So symptoms of clinical depression that uh, occur during or shortly after giving birth. Then there's psychotic depression. So having the symptoms of clinical depression and a form of psychosis. So psychosis is either like hearing things that other people aren't hearing, seeing things that other don't people don't see. These are called hallucinations. Uh, or experiencing disturbing false fixed beliefs, which are called delusions, being delusional. Next, you have seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, which is what we talked about earlier, right? But this is a, a serious version of that. So this is seasonal affective disorder where you actually have symptoms of clinical depression during that time of the year. Next, you have teen depression. Yes, this is a very real thing. I mean, science has proven that teenagers go through a period of time in their lives where depression is very common as they're trying to figure out who they are, wrestle with who they want to hang out with, what kind of a person they want to be, all of those different things. And then finally, we have this thing called bipolar depression, which is um, basically mood instability, right? It's episodes of clinical depression mixed with times when you are almost too happy, right, or have too much energy. Uh, those are called manic episodes, and it's a fluctuation back and forth between depression and mania. Now let's take a break for a second from this list because I mentioned symptoms of clinical depression quite a few times. So it might be good to stop here and actually go over those so that you understand a bit more what we're talking about and why it's more impactful than, than what we talked about when we talked about sadness. So here are the symptoms of clinical depression. One, a depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Two, markedly dis diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. Significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. Number four, a slowing down of the thought and a reduction of physical movement. So this is observable by others, not merely a subjective feeling of yourself, or like of being restless or being slowed down. Number five, fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Six, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Number seven, a diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. And finally, recurring thoughts of death recurrent suicidal ideation without a plan or a suicide attempt or specific plan for committing suicide. So obviously this is next level stuff compared to sadness, right? We can be sad and still go to work. We can be sad and still function normally. We can be sad and still be hopeful for the future. But when sadness turns into depression, our thinking starts to shut down. We start to lose the ability to rebound and to continue doing everyday activities. And this is why depression is a serious issue, right? Something that we shouldn't ignore or take lightly. 
like I said, it starts to impact our thinking, but it also can start to impact our physical body, our physical well-being, right? It talked about weight loss. It talked about um, sleep problems, reduction of movement, um, all of those kinds of things, right? That's starting to impact your actual body. Okay, so let's get back to the list. Level four is what I would call severe depression. Not that all depression isn't serious, but once it reaches a certain level, it can be viewed as severe. Because at this level, there are two things that amp up the level of danger. One, we talked a little bit about, which is psychosis. So this, this should be very obvious, right? If you're experiencing things that aren't grounded in reality, you may do things or react in ways that are not in touch with reality. Uh, if you think somebody is chasing you, you might run out into the street and get hit by a car. And if there really wasn't a person chasing you, you just put yourself in a life or death situation for no reason. That's psychosis. Number two is suicidal ideation. Also obvious, right? If you believe that the best thing to do is end your life, you're in a very dangerous situation. Especially because suicidal ideation comes from the depression, not from you. This is a huge thing to understand. A depressed person isn't suicidal because they want to die. They're suicidal because the depression is so bad that it seems like their only way out. Like I said, this is a huge piece of the puzzle and why it's so sad when somebody takes their life. Because at the end of the day, it is usually a decision made in a vacuum. And if they could have just made it through that depressive episode, there's a really good chance they would no longer feel like hurting themselves. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's pretend that you're on a road trip to a national forest, right? You're driving on beautiful, windy roads, you're seeing beautiful things, and you're enjoying the fact that you're alive. Then you come to a tunnel. You drive in, and all of a sudden it's dark, and you can't see all of those beautiful things you once saw. You start to feel closed in, you start to feel hopeless, and you wish that you could just end your life. Then you come to the end of the tunnel and you're back out in the sunshine, the trees, the mountains, all the good things that life has to offer. Looking back, you can't believe that you almost ended your life in the tunnel because you see it for what it was, a short-term change in your perspective. Now, this is an illustration that obviously minimizes something that is a lot more difficult than this makes it out to be. But I believe this with all my heart. I believe that depressed people who are suicidal are in a tunnel and they just need help getting out of the tunnel so that they can once again see life as beautiful and worth living. Number two, pick your poison. So in this world, there are two ways to look at something like sadness or depression, right? There is the worldly view, and then there is a spiritual view. So the worldly view is based completely on science. It's the field of psychology and pop psychology, study of the brain and how it functions. This viewpoint typically suggests that our sadness or our depression is driven by our own inability to manage our thinking and our behaving, which ultimately leads to feeling more depressed. This is where you'll hear things like, you have a chemical imbalance which is causing your depression, or you're experiencing cognitive distortions which we need to work on so that you can think more rationally. The worldly solution is often medication, right? Because medication helps right-size the chemical imbalance. 
and traditional talk therapy is to work through the cognitive distortions. Then there's the spiritual side, right? The spiritual side is obviously driven by people with religious or spiritual beliefs or worldviews. This can be anything from Christianity to Buddhism to Scientology. And since I didn't grow up in all spiritual or religious traditions, the only one I can speak to is my own, which is Christianity. And in my experience, traditional Christianity suggests that there is a biblical explanation for everything, right? A biblical explanation as to why you're depressed, a biblical explanation as to how to stop being depressed. And traditional Christian counselors, uh, in my opinion, take this to the nth degree and in a sense, beat people over the head with the Bible. I still remember talking to a friend one time who had sought out help um, at a church we both attended uh, by going to see the pastor, well, the pastor who kind of oversaw the counseling services, right? So I asked him at some point, I said, how's it going? Is it a good fit? Do you enjoy you know, going and talking to this guy? And my friend said, no, not really. Every time I bring something up, he just opens the Bible and throws a verse at me right? Like it's supposed to be some magic button or something like an, an easy button, you just hit it and it just fixes everything. And unfortunately, this is often the experience people have with pastors or more traditional can Christian counselors, right? Most, most of them want to use the Bible as some magic lightsaber that just fixes everything. And most aren't big fans of medication as a means to uh, decreasing depressive symptoms. So there you have it, kind of two sides of the mental health coin, right? The worldly view and the spiritual view. And I bet you're waiting for me to tell you which one is right, right? Some of you are leaning toward the worldly, right? Since I have a master's degree in social work and it's what I did, and you'd be partly right. And then there probably are some of you leaning toward the spiritual, right? Because I was raised Christian and, and so I probably have that view. And you would be partly right there too. The truth of the matter is this, I am not 100% on either side. Figuring this out was my struggle in the early days. Right after I graduated and started working in the mental health field, uh, you know, this was my struggle. School taught me the worldly view of mental health, right? All of the treatment modalities and the medication and the, the talk therapy, that's, that's what I learned in school. But being raised a Christian had taught me the spiritual side of things, the spiritual viewpoint. And unfortunately, the spiritual view doesn't count, at least not in the field of mental health. I mean, we were taught that you had to check your religious or spiritual baggage, so to speak, at the door of the counseling office, that it had no place in the counseling relationship unless two things happened. First, if the client brought it up, then you could have the conversation, but only as it applies to their beliefs, not yours. And then number two, if you specifically called yourself a Christian counselor, right? So if I didn't work for an agency or if I worked, I guess if you worked for a Christian counseling agency, you know, then you could put that by your name and say that you're a Christian counselor. Uh, then it's more appropriate for you to ask people about their spiritual or religious beliefs uh, as part of the therapy process. But even with those two caveats, I was still disillusioned, right? It didn't work for me. Something deep inside me knew it takes both the worldly understanding of the problem and a spiritual understanding of the problem in order for there to be a good solution to the problem. Uh, 
Let me say that again. It takes both a worldly understanding of the problem and a spiritual understanding of the problem in order for there to be a good solution to the problem. And this was the birth of controversy theory, right? This manuscript that that I wrote, which had me wrestling with these two views on mental health and coming to the conclusion that it couldn't be one or the other, it had to be both and. Simply put, we have to see the big picture, which is the spiritual piece, before we can use traditional psychology, the worldly piece, to solve our problems. Number three, the controversy and Albert Ellis. So like I said, I didn't pick a side. Instead, I see both as having a huge role to play in us as we deal with mental issues we face, mental health issues. But in this case, we're talking about sadness and depression. So let's look at these two elements and how they can work harmoniously together with our feelings of sadness and depression. So the first we'll just call the controversy, right? This is the spiritual side of the coin. It is the knowledge about the controversy that exists between God and Satan. So obviously, like I said, I'm a Christian, so this is a very Christian view of the world. Uh, you're, you're just going to have to understand that that's kind of where I'm coming from. So this controversy between God and Satan, this battle going on right now for your heart and for your soul. Now, for your heart refers to the here and now, right? In this life, that both of them are fighting over your behavior, your thinking, right? They, they want you to live in such a way uh, as to make it obvious that you're choosing team God or team Satan. That's your heart. But then also for your soul, right? And this is for keeps, for eternity, choosing God or choosing Satan as your eternal destination. And the interesting thing about this eternal destination is what it is for each person. So in the Bible, God tells us what his eternal destination is, right? It's described as heaven. And it tells us a little bit about what that means. But the interesting thing is that Satan doesn't have an eternal destination like heaven. It's just the opposite of heaven. It's not going to heaven. It's choosing against heaven. Now, some of you might say, well, hold on, wait, 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 there's hell, right? God is asking you to choose him, and then there's heaven as a result, or Satan is trying to get you to follow him, and then you would end up in hell. Well, hell is a interesting concept, um, and I'm just going to throw out, you know, two ideas as to what it actually means. Um, one is more similar to the Greek mythology view of death or hell or Hades or, you know, those kinds of things, uh, which is that you go to a place and you're burning forever and ever and ever. But there's another way to look at hell. There's another viewpoint or um, belief about hell that is different, right? And this belief suggests that hell is an event, right? It's a it's an event that happens at the end of time where those who choose against God are consumed in this thing called the lake of fire. And that it's not a lake of fire that will burn forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, but it's more the outcome that is eternal. So that, you know, once everyone has been consumed, the outcome of that event is eternal. 
right? People will not come back. They will not be reborn. Um, the results are final. And that's kind of what I've grown up with. And that's what I ascribe to when it comes to hell. So when we're thinking about this whole team God versus team Satan, it's not that each team has a destination where you go and you would remain conscious and living forever and ever and ever. Heaven is eternal in that you are living forever and ever and ever. But if you choose team Satan, it's my belief that you are choosing against heaven. You are choosing that that's not something that you want to do. And your decision is eternal. Your decision is final. So that's your soul. So there's that battle going on for your heart and for your soul. The next important piece of the spiritual um, understanding is what we call the big three questions, right? And we've talked about this before. And this really has to do with three things, right? There are three questions. And they, there's questions that come from a spiritual point of view. So the questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where do I go when I die? And, and these are super important questions to ask when dealing with sadness and depression, right? These are, these are answers. If you have answers to these questions, they can have a really big impact on how you feel. If you don't answer them, right, then you're basically just left with the feelings and feelings can be very misleading at times. But if you can find the answers to these three questions, and you're able to apply them to your feelings of sadness and depression, now you have a foundation upon which to build. The next thing to understand is that we have help. Spiritually speaking, we are not alone in dealing with our sadness and depression, right? Even if you feel completely alone in terms of people around you, we have somebody on our side, somebody who knows us better than we even know ourselves because God created us, right? And who better, who, who is more uniquely qualified to help us with our problems than the person who made us, right? Uh, you know, he may not stand there in a counseling session and offer you specific things to do, but there are hundreds of ways in which he steps in, he guides, he comforts, and he protects us in the process. And the final thing I would say about the, the spiritual is just that Satan needs to be understood. So we can't keep sauntering through life viewing Satan as a caricature or a cartoon character that just sits on your shoulder and tries to get you to do mean things once in a while. The Bible doesn't even give us that option, right? Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't sound like a cartoon character to me, does it? And it's that view of Satan that can help us deal with sadness and depression. Not that we have somebody to blame for our feelings. That's not necessary. But it does help us to understand that there is a being out there who would love nothing more than for us to be so consumed with our sadness and depression that we miss out on life or even take our life, right? So that we're out of the game for good. And that kind of changes things, right? When you view Satan as, as kind of a manipulative person behind the scenes, pushing you toward those feelings of sadness and depression, it can really change how you experience them and, and your willingness to work on that, right? Because Satan views these as wins, right? He views these as points that he's racking up against God in the great battle. 
So very important to view Satan for what he really is. Now, the second we'll just call Albert Ellis. This is the worldly side of the coin, right? Science, psychology, and the idea that there's nothing going on in life bigger than you. You are your own worst enemy, and yet you have everything within you to fix yourself, right? You just need to learn how, and probably from somebody who has the knowledge and can pass it on to you. Now, I used Albert Ellis not because he's considered the father of psychology, right? That's a distinction for people like Sigmund Freud or Wilhelm Wundt. Uh, But Albert Ellis is considered the father of rational emotive behavior therapy, REBT, which is something that I spent a fair amount of time studying, and I believe very strongly in as a means of managing the way we think and behave. Now I know what you're saying. This is in direct opposition to what you just said about the spiritual stuff, right? And I would say no. No, it's not. And here's why. Just because we're spiritual beings, and just because we understand the spiritual side of things in our world, doesn't mean that psychology is wrong. In fact, I believe that there is truth and scientific fact behind the spiritual things we believe in. I believe that one day we'll get to heaven and everything will make sense. We will understand everything. Questions we have about Noah's flood and how it happened from a scientific perspective. Questions about dinosaurs. Where did they come from? When were they extinct? And and what's the science behind that? Questions about carbon dating, right? How can scientists have used carbon dating to prove that the earth is millions of years old when the Bible suggests that God created the earth less than 6,000 years ago? Again, I believe all of these things have a logical scientific explanation. We just won't understand them until we get to heaven and God explains it to us. And so it is with psychology. Just because there are many, many worldly concepts out there, and just because many psychologists lean toward atheism or uh, humanism, doesn't mean that the concepts and the research findings are always false, right? Could it be that many of these truths about the way we think are just now being understood? That man is slowly beginning to understand the amazing brain that God gave us? And that these understandings aren't evil, they're rational, they're logical, they're thinking critically. And if we just throw them out because they came out of the field of psychology, it's like we're choosing to drive a horse and buggy when there's a beautiful Jeep Wrangler sitting right there next to us. Now, I know I glossed over that in five seconds, right, and made it sound super simple, but it's not. This is a huge thing, right? This is a debate that will go on until the end of time. So there's no the, there's no way that we can address all of the intricacies of, of this debate in this podcast. But what I want you to hear me saying is this. We are spiritual beings created by God, but our creator gave us brains, right? And he expects us to learn things about ourselves, to figure out how our brains work, and to work with the tools he gave us. The Bible helps to explain it like this in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The whole renewing of your mind thing, to me, this has always referred to an important concept in psychology, called thinking about our thinking. So stepping outside of yourself and analyzing your thoughts, seeing the problem for what it is, and then choosing to think or behave differently. 
this is literally the foundation of REBT and other forms of therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy. These treatment modalities attack the way you think about things and attempt to rework that thinking so that it's more rational and functional. And that's why I live in the tension between the two, between the worldly and the spiritual. Because at the end of the day, it's all spiritual on some level, right? If you believe that God created the earth and humankind, you have to believe that he created psychology as well. At least the elements of psychology that are true, right? There are obviously things in every field that are not true or misunderstood. But true psychology, right, the kind that helps people change their lives by thinking differently, is tapping into a spiritual thing, the mind that God gave us and the abilities that he equipped us with. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. First, have you struggled with or are you struggling with sadness or depression? If so, you're not alone please reach out to somebody and let them know that you're hurting. A pastor, a teacher, a therapist, a friend, a family member. Don't stay in that tunnel any longer. Work with somebody to get back out there into the sun, the trees, and the mountains. Number two, have you ever entertained the idea that there may be two ways to view sadness and depression? From a worldly viewpoint or a spiritual viewpoint? And finally, would you be open to a combination of the two, a controversy and Albert Ellis type view of mental health? If so, start this week to strengthen both sides of the coin. How can you work on the spiritual side? How can you work on your thinking and behaving? So that does it. But before we go, I can't end this episode without this important piece. So if you are struggling, and I mean struggling in the tunnel, right? Ready to throw in the towel and end it all. Please don't. You are worth more than you know. You have value. You are special. And the world needs what only you can contribute. Don't throw that away. When I was younger, um, a very special person in my life attempted suicide. Uh, She OD'd on aspirin. Um, but was found in time by a roommate who wasn't even supposed to be back until the next day. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that she's still with us. And, you know, I've seen over the years her contribution to the world, her impact um, that's not only felt by her family and her friends, but by people in other countries, right? People she's worked with as part of her job, part of her traveling So my friend, if you're in that place right now and you don't know how much longer you can hold on, please call somebody right now. Uh, The Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. This is why it was created, right? So someone like you could call at any hour of the day or night to get help. Uh, If you feel safe, right, but you know you're going through a rough patch, there are other options out there as well. Uh, Recently, Michael Phelps and Demi Lovato have both come out and talked about their struggles with mental health. Uh, And they've both endorsed an online community of licensed therapists called uh, Talkspace.com. Given the crazy time that we've just gone through with the COVID-19 pandemic and stuff like that, you know, this online service might just fill the gap. 
that gap that exists in getting to see a therapist in person. So never count that out, right? And then finally, you have family, you have friends, right? Strengthen those relationships and be transparent about how you're feeling. Somebody, um, you know, somebody is there, right? And that's the first step really is just getting another person to know that you're struggling, like letting another person know, letting them in. So thank you so much for joining us, uh, making us part of your journey. Uh, Have a great week. And as always, keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.